0: Good afternoon and welcome to lunchtime series proudly powered by Leadership By Zero, where we aim to add value to people's lives. You can listen to the uh, to us live every Wednesday and Thursday at lunchtime on ebizradio.com where we talk everything leadership coaching and marketing and you can listen to the lunchtime series on all your major podcast channels today. So today we have a very interesting uh, guest joining us uh, all the way from uh, somewhere overseas you can tell us now. Um <laughs> She's a a grieving mom who has found meaning for her loss through opening up conversations about grief, how it really works and how we can support people experiencing it. She works with organizations and businesses to build uh, the skills and protocols to better support people who are grieving and normalize grief as an expected and healthy part of our lives, which is such a good conversation because we generally don't do it. And she Mm -hmm. also Grievers to chart with unique grief path. So she's a certified grief educator, transformational coach, and workshop leader. Uh, Suzanne Jabou, how are you, Suzanne?
1: I am well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm in Vancouver, Canada. So yes, somewhere not where you are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 already uh, we're recording South African time, kind of where the sun's going down, and you've just woken up, right?
1: Exactly. Yep. <laughs>
0: So, Suzanne, to kick it off, like, I, we hear about grief, uh, and we experience grief, it's, you know, it's a given. Um, but I think, you know, uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty, tell us about how you sort of got to this position, how you became sort of a grief educator, and why... Why grief? Because I mean, like, there's so many things you could sort of do, and because yeah. I do believe it's an important one. But but why for you? Why was this your 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 choice?
1: So this has become my mission after my most recent loss, which was my son Ben. Uh, he died in September of 2020 at the age of 22. Sure. And there was something about that out of order loss and the loss of a child that for me just meant I got like grief on the next level, right? I had grieved people before, you know, both my parents died before Ben, obviously my grandparents, aunts and uncles, friends, colleagues. So, you know, it wasn't the first loss of someone really close to me, but there was something about that loss. that was just, I I experienced grief in a way I never had before. And I realized very quickly that I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what was coming for me. I didn't know what the symptoms would be. And mostly that was because we don't talk about it. You know, if you yeah. think about anything else in our life, we talk about it. So when it happens to us, we kind of go, oh, but I remember, you know, Kevin said this happened to him and Sally Joe said this happened to her. And, you know, Marty said this other thing. And so we can kind of put together our shared knowledge, but we don't do that with grief. So for me, I realized very quickly that I didn't know enough about it and that people who loved me didn't know how to support me. They didn't know what to do. And that's the other thing that comes when we don't talk about it is we hold a lot of fear because we don't wanna do the wrong thing. We don't wanna hurt the person who's grieving. We don't wanna make it worse. Yeah. Um, and so then we get all kind of tangled up in the fear piece and then we'd end up not doing anything. And then we all end up isolated and we start to feel a little bit of shame And then the whole thing just becomes a big mess. And so what I realized is if I, you know, I started writing on Facebook as you do, right? (laughs) Mostly just to get the spin out of my head because I couldn't keep all of what I was learning and what I was experiencing in my head. It was maddening. So I started writing on Facebook and the response I got from friends and family was, unanimously, oh my gosh, no one ever talks about this. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm learning so much from what's going on for you. And so it really has just built from there. And I, you know, the more I learned about grief, the more I needed to support myself and my daughter and, you know, other people, and you know, talked with people who were able to support me about why. And I just was so curious. And that was really part of my survival technique. You know, I, I got this download very early that I was only gonna survive this experience if I could stay conscious and curious. So the conscious was about just turning, facing it all on, letting it all be okay, right? All the emotions, the tsunami, the horror of it all. That was the conscious piece was I couldn't stuff any of it. I couldn't go unconscious to any of it. And yes, that was really hard and terrible. And I'm grateful I did it that way. The curiosity piece was about You know how do i when you're in that survival mode part like how do i get through the day how do i even just live in a world where this is my reality now where i'm living in this post-apocalyptic nightmare and everyone else is you know going to work right so you know and really i that earliest curiosity for me where i realized i needed every tool in my toolbox was i was sobbing one day and i was sobbing so hard and i thought i just i don't even know how to breathe anymore Like I don't know how to breathe. I know how to sob, but that's not like I'm not oxygenating my body, and I know that's important. I remember from high school biology, this was a thing we were supposed to do, right? Yeah. So that was the beginning. Curiosity was really for me about survival, and then it's become more and more about how do we shift this paradigm? How do we break up this fear? How do we open up this conversation? And that sort of led me to looking at, you know, how can I help people who are supporting a griever? How can we open up those conversations? And one of the hardest places for grievers to be is in the workplace. So that led me to really look at, you know, what can businesses do? How can we, you know, I I talk to business leaders all the time who say, you know, I know there's something I could be doing beyond the sort of here, it's pretty standard, you get three days off and we have some kind of employee assistance program. So beyond that, like what can I do? Like that just doesn't feel like enough. Yeah. The good news is there's tons of things you can do. The bad news is we're not talking about them. So we're not sharing best practices. We're not sharing what we're learning. We're not sharing anything. And so I'm really here to disrupt all of that.
0: So I just it, <sighs> like I'm like I'm I'm dumbfounded by. Yeah. I'll tell you why I'm dumbfounded because just as you're speaking about it, I think of my daughter, and the the thought of losing her would there would be no point to me. So I'm yeah. sitting here kind of going. I don't like so let me ask a question then because I'm going mm-hmm. how do you not lose your reason for living because to me like my immediate association to my to my life is like i want to be the best i can possibly be so that you know when i'm not here one day my daughter can look back and go that was my dad and he did that and like if if that goes away it would it would literally take away my identity like it would take away yep and I, I can't even imagine what what it feels like to be in that situation that you're in it, it's it literally takes my breath away so how do you i mean i don't even know like what what the question is how do you do this how how are you I okay mean,
1: you know one second one breath one baby step that's how you know i remember in those very early days i had such a clear you know, visual in my head of what my life looked like. And you're exactly right. I lost myself, the person who went to bed the night before that dreaded, you know, that phone call every parent dreads that middle of the night phone call. The person who went to bed that night doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And I had to understand that very quickly because I was lost in the wilderness, right? I was like, I don't even know, you know, who, if I am not his mom and I have another child, I have a daughter as well. If, yeah. But if I'm not his mom, who am I? Like what? what is my, absolutely. And so I had this visual of my life in pieces on the ground, my life and myself. Cause I knew I had lost my identity as well. Yeah, Cause I'm the mom of two. Now I know I'm still the mom of two. I will always be the mom of two. Right now I know that. At the time I couldn't make any sense of that. So the pieces of my life are in like big chunky puzzle pieces. You know, those 3D puzzles like on Survivor those big Mm -hmm. chunky puzzle pieces all on the floor around me. And my arms were already full of what I could carry, right? I'm already at capacity. And there's all these pieces of myself and my life on the floor around me that I don't know how to pick up. Yeah. And I had to figure out what pieces could I get okay with leaving behind? Like I knew that person didn't exist. So what parts of her was I okay with leaving behind? And what did I need to, and I stood still for a long time with that image, right? So, okay, but I don't, I'm, I'm not sure what I can pick up. I can't pick up anything else. So what can I leave behind? What do I put down and pick up something else? How do I reconstruct myself? Yeah. Because that was a big part of it. I had to reconstruct myself, then still lived with me. So I came yeah. home to the place we lived together. Right? Because sure. of COVID, my daughter was living here too. But it is like, as, as, as hard as it is to wrap your head around it, yeah. is as hard as it is to do because it is it, like everything your mind is taking you to is exactly what happens. Horrify- it's horrifying. And I never, you know, I think it's easy for or easier for me now to talk about obviously, you know, time has passed, I've done a lot of healing work, I will continue to heal, I will continue to grieve. And I don't want to ever minimize for anyone who is closer to the loss of their person how absolutely horrifying it is. It's horrible.
0: So people who see this may assume that you're either crazy (laughs) or or she didn't love him that much because how are you so okay? Right? Like because we make the assumption that like you're supposed to be unhappy, you're supposed to be miserable, and mm-hmm. um, be dreary and useless, because right. generally that's what would happen, you would, you've lost that loss to that degree, I mean that, that's what I would do, I would be completely useless, I would <laughs> do that. So, so how do you reconcile that, and, and how does that conversation go down, because it's not like you you loved him less than you love your daughter, you know, it's, that's not, and I'm assuming that's not the case. Um, no. but how do you, what do you say to people that go, but why are you so happy? Why are you so okay?
1: Um, it's so interesting that you asked that, but the first time I was asked that was about three months ago and I was so offended. I'm <laughs> like, yeah. someone asked, it was yeah. actually a, another podcast host that I was doing a pre-interview with. And she said, like, I don't quite know how to ask this, but you don't seem upset enough or something like that. And I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? So here's how I would explain that. Because I made the radical decision to grieve out loud, to grieve yeah. every second. I, I mean, I'm grieving and functional because I will never not grieve him. I will yeah. grieve him for the rest of my life.
0: So so just on that point. So yeah. I think that's very important to recognize. Yeah. you You will never not grieve him. This will be a this will be a forever moment of grief. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So once I realized that, which was pretty early, I thought, like, I'm never and all that languaging we use around grief, you know, you're supposed to get over it or get through it or move on. All of that is so damaging because it implies we're gonna leave our person behind us. Yeah. And I knew I didn't want to do that. I wasn't gonna leave yeah. Ben behind. That's preposterous. Mm-hmm. He's my child. I want him with me forever. I want him with me here. <laughs> But that's now not the reality. So so I will grieve him forever because I will love him forever. Yeah. And if that's true, then what? And that's where the curiosity kicked in, right? So yeah. I'm going to grieve out loud. I'm going to feel the absolute horror of it. And I want to be very clear. In those early days, I was an absolute disaster. Yeah. I could barely speak in sentences. I, I didn't do my grocery shopping for about a year and a half. Like, yeah. I was... Functional, not functional, right? And I remain functional, not functional. I got lost the other day. I've lived where I lived for over 45 years. And I got lost the other day. I was like, what the heck? Where am I? I, I just use my GPS all the time. I use my calendar for everything. The night before I go to bed, I look at my calendar for the next day. I set an alarm for every single thing I have to do. So I have found tools to allow me to be functional while grieving and I realized that if I was going to accept that I was going to grieve then forever, that I still had to live, too. So I had to figure out how to do both. And I remember saying to my daughter in the very early days, you know, we're going to become masters of holding paradox. Because yeah. we can be so pleased that people are coming to visit us and are bringing us dinner and so devastated about why they are. Yeah. And you have to hold those things at the same time. So I can be grieving and on a mission at the same time. And I think because I chose to just radically accept it all, Mm. everything that came at me, I allowed those feelings and yes, they are a thousand percent overwhelming. You know, I love water metaphors. So the best description I can give people about what those earliest days are like yeah. Is it's like you're in the wave of the tsunami and you're underwater and you're just being spun around like a piece of driftwood. Yeah. And then I realized that I was actually a cork. I wasn't a piece of driftwood at all. I was a cork. So every once in a while I would pop to the surface. I could gasp some air, you know, <laughs> and then another wave would come and down I would go and you're back spinning under the water. And then eventually yeah. I'm most of the time on top of the water. I may be kind of in a rowboat. I'm a terrible rower, can't row a rowboat to save my life, so I can't get anywhere purposefully, but at least most of the time I can breathe, right? And then you kind of realize, okay, I think I can actually sort of steer this boat. I can sort of go where I wanna go. And, And you just gain more capacity over time, baby steps at a time. There's no leaping, there's no leaps of progress. It's all baby steps at a time and you have to slowly rebuild your life. Because I also knew, you know, this awful thing happened, this like unfathomably terrible thing happened. Yeah. And I wasn't gonna let it be for nothing. I wasn't gonna let it be for nothing. So what did I have to do to have that also be true?
0: And I'm so glad that, that you're saying that because I think we just knowing from people who have lost, you know, especially children it it does sometimes it seems like it you know like what was the what was the what's the point of me being here then Mm -hmm. right and they they go down that narrative and they they don't live life as much as they could and but hearing you say that you kind of I mean and i and I, i'm never i don't know what to like how to sensitively ask so please forgive me that's okay I...
1: just ask it it's all good this is a no shame no blame zone we're here to break up taboos and open a conversation that feels awkward so welcome to the awkward zone
0: thank you thank you i appreciate that because do you believe that this then has given you a uh a platform a <laughs> An ability, maybe, because I'm like it feels like you have a, like a gift now, to be mm-hmm. able to do stuff for people and and carry and create space for people who may have gone through this. Do you think that's the gift of what it is giving you? Is it a gift? Is it like what is, like is that what you're getting from it?
1: that's part of it i wouldn't be a grief educator i wouldn't be on your podcast talking about grief if this hadn't happened to me yeah and i realized very early that you know i'm comfortable talking about it that's the choice that i made and it was a choice of survival it wasn't a oh would i really enjoy talking about that no the only way i would survive was going to be to talk about it so if that was true and the people that I talked to were so uh, appreciative of my ability to say, oh, my gosh, this is horrifying. And this is how it feels this week. This is how it feels today. I can barely get up. You know, today, my exciting win was I had a shower. And I mean, I could talk about showering. Showering's a whole thing. All that stuff you, you do without even thinking about it, yeah. all that ability falls away. I had to stand in the shower and think, OK, what am I doing? What is this place? What am I doing here? oh, okay, so I, have to, I usually do my hair first, let's do that. Like, it really, you have to break it down and talk yourself through it. It's so, so unspeakably difficult, those first days when you're just trying to survive and get through the day. But if it was, you know, I've always been a comfortable public speaker. I've always been comfortable speaking with people. So if I could use that gift and skill that I already had to make it easier for other people that didn't have that gift and skill, then that made sense to me that, and it was also part of that sense of like, you know, Ben struggled with mental illness for years. So I talk about that. I talk about, you know, how we need, you know, we part of why I'm so passionate about grief and supporting grievers is that grief is this place where emotions are big and we need to face them and we need to own them. And we're as a collective, not good at that at all. No, right. We don't want to talk about emotions. We barely want to feel them, especially if they're from the bad negative list. Then we're just going to stuff them away. And science is telling us now how actually physically bad that is for us. Right. It's actually, you know, we're creating malignancies in our bodies literally by doing this, by not expressing our emotions, our unexpressed trauma. Yeah. So if I could use my ability to speak my radical acceptance of grief and my almost student of it nest. that's not a sentence, but you understand what I mean? Like yeah. I was determined to understand it and to really think about like, how did it work this way? Why did it work that way? That's where the curiosity took me once I got out of survival mode, it took me to, okay, how do I rebuild this life? Because, you know, I think you're so right. The story that society tells us about a parent who's lost a child is there's now, they now have no meaning in their life and they don't even know what, why they're still here. Yeah. And they're absolutely our parents for whom that is true. And I knew that that wasn't going to be my story. I was mm-hmm. very clear that was not going to be my story. I was going to make the choices I needed to make little choice at a time, baby step at a time, because I knew I wanted to have as big and rich and abundant and full a life as I would have had if Ben was still here. And I knew that
0: I'm getting all teary eyed as you're speaking about it, because (laughs) I think it's people like you that, that are actually like, like we, we know superheroes are, you know, they're supposed to be superheroes, but I think I would, I would coin you a superhero. Like I would, like you would, like it's, (laughs) and I don't want to be all emotional about it, but I think that's, that is such a—it's uh, such an ability that you have to be able to do this. I—I I don't know how you would, how someone would do this. This is just—I'm completely stunned and floored by your ability to do this. So, so thank you for being so brave and so uh, su- such a superhero. I think you are—you're <laughs> superwoman because. Uh, because, you know, then, it, you know, it does give it, it gives it, you give, you give space for people to, to know that they're not nothing because they've lost a child. Yeah. Um, and they're not, they, there's, there, there's, yes, absolutely, there's a void, there's a whole new identity that's needed, there's a whole new way of living and a way of life and, yep. and, only a superhero who has super abilities and super strengths <laughs> could get that. Would be able to see it. Would be able to kind of go. Well, if there if there was something that I could do, and and have meaning for it to be, to be at least for not, for for something, then then do this. You know, make it make it conversational. Make it out there. Speak it through. Um, let it be okay to be just completely grief stricken, and and go okay, cool. Now have a cup of coffee, <laughs> to yeah, you know, like or whatever that because, is.
1: Because yeah, and you know, thank you first of all. That makes me yeah. Anyway, it makes me emotional as well. And we're just going to embrace all the emotions because that's what yes. we do here. Yes. This is the emotion zone, right? The awkward <laughs> emotion zone. And it and I think you know it makes me emotional because as much as I can see it was a choice that I made, like, and that's how life works, right? Life is all about choices, little choices, little choices, little choices, bigger choices. It's all about making those choices. And, you know, so much of the choices I made early on were literally about survival. It was like, I knew, if I let myself close it off, or if I tried to close it off, I, I could, I had this clear, knowing that I would be shattered. Like I could see myself like a, you know, the the opera singer sings, whatever that note is, and the glass goes, I could see myself doing that. And I was like, Okay, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that. (laughs) That for myself, right? So if not that, then what? And that's the constant question. Like, if not that, then what? If that and what? You know, if I'm going to grieve my whole life for Ben, which I am, you know, there's a bend shape. I say there's a bend shaped hole in my heart and I, it, there's nothing that can fill that. Yeah. And there's a life to be lived here and it's mine and I still get to live it.
0: And, and I think that's such a beautiful way of, of looking at to kind of just in honor of him, you know, yeah. to kind of go, uh, you know, let's, you know, let's help people. Be able to, to know that, that transition that we all inevitably will go through, mm-hmm. uh, it is okay to be sad about it, it is okay to feel it, it is okay to experience and express that. Um, so I mean, do you, what are, is there a step process, I am like I do not even know, like is there a step <laughs> process to this, what is your recommendation, like how do you what do you start with when, when you sort of, when you sort of give advice, like what, what is the beginning?
1: So the beginning for someone who's experiencing grief is about permission. So my, you know, my end game, my cathedral project is you won't need to give yourself permission because culturally we will have permission right now. We don't. So we have to give ourselves that permission to feel it, to experience it, to embrace it, for it to take as long as it has to, permission to ignore everybody's advice. Because frankly, you know, for me, I was very clear. Like if you have not lost a child, suddenly got that middle of the night phone call, I I give no, I don't know if I can swear or not, I give no poops about <laughs> what you have to say about how I should be grieving. I, I have yeah. none to give, none to yeah. give, sorry, thanks for coming, right? I was you know, very clear that that was not going to be helpful. Yeah. We have to give ourselves permission to find our way because for each of us, it's unique. And each time we grieve, it's unique. That was the thing that really hit me this time. Cause I felt like, you know, my dad died when I was in my thirties and we had a he, he was diagnosed with cancer. We had a few months with him and then he died. My mom died when I was in my forties. That was a different experience, shorter timeline, just a, a different experience. And I felt like I grieved them. Like my grief experience with them was quite similar even though it's different when it's the second parent, I don't know if you still have both of your parents, but no, there's yeah. some, yeah, there's something about losing that second one when you realize like you're an orphan and there's like no one that has to take you in, right? There's yeah. no one that like has this obligation. Yeah. So there was that layer to it, right? But then there was something about, you know, Ben's death that just brought up symptoms I had no idea about, um, you know, physiological symptoms, the grief fog, like the brain fog is, you know, astronomical you know, I'm still using the GPS in my hometown, right? Yeah. That's the fog part. And, and you know, things that I know if I had known they were coming, I wouldn't have felt so alone. I wouldn't have felt like there was something wrong with me, right? Because when you don't know these things are possible and likely, then when they happen to you, you think there's something wrong with you. Yeah. So my child has died. I've lost my own identity. My life is in pieces on the ground and now I all of a sudden have Alzheimer's, right? (laughs) Because I don't know that brain fog is an expected part of the grief process. So if I can say that to people, and if we can talk about what symptoms you could be expecting, if we can talk about how long it really takes, you know, it takes you, you know, you get your three days off work and then you have a service of some sort, celebration of life, whatever it is, then you're supposed to be back back to normal. Well, that's impossible. It's impossible. So we're putting impossible expectations on people when they are at their most raw. Yeah. And the most uncomfortable, right? I mean, we're uncomfortable talking about this and it's not happened right in this moment. Mm-hmm. For someone who has happened right in this moment, the, the emotions are overwhelming. Yeah. So if I can help to sort of shift those conversations, so that's where I start. If you're grieving, you need to give yourself permission to do it your way. You need to give yourself permission to take help. You're going to need help. When people offer, say yes. And if you're supporting someone who's grieving and you want to help them, make a specific offer. Anything you need, let me know. I feel your energetic love. I cannot (laughs) access that because I can't form sentences, right? So what I might need in the future, I can't conceptualize that. My brain won't do that.
0: So bring me food. I'm going to bring you food. I'm going to bring you dinner.
1: Yeah. I'm going to the grocery store. Do you need milk? Yeah. Oh, I don't need milk, but could you bring me apples or bananas or cheese or bread or, you know, pork chops, whatever it is. Yeah. That's really helpful. Specific, tangible offers of support. And there's a million of them. Anything you're doing in your regular day is supposed to be happening in the griever's day, too. And it's probably not. So could you offer maybe to clean their house? That's a tricky one, because a lot of us don't want anyone to touch our person's stuff. So that's a whole tricky could you take out their garbage absolutely i was talking to someone the other day and she had an angel show up and do her laundry so they came on one day took the baskets of dirty laundry took them home cleaned folded everything everything came back clean and ready that's a huge gift right so there's all kinds of really tangible practical things we can do to help people i had you know i was talking about grocery shopping i had someone else do my grocery shopping for about a year and a half and then i slowly could re-enter the grocery store grocery stores I would love to talk to grocery store owners. That's who I need to be pitching to. You need to fix the whole structure of the grocery store, right? It's a really complicated place for grievers, right? Yeah. First of all, you have to be dressed. You never know who you're gonna run into. So I still don't really go to the neighborhood grocery store. I go to one away. Music is playing all the time. Music is one wildly activating thing for people. Like if you hear your person's song or the song, now you're crying in the grocery store. I always, whenever I see an abandoned cart, I always think, oh, I bet that's someone grieving. Cause it's just, you get overwhelmed and like just abandon your cart and leave. It's totally fine.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And then you're going to have to show up and the cashier is going to ask you how you are. Please. Can we stop that? That's not a transactional question. That's a very personal uh, question. And yes. you don't want me to answer. I'm a hot mess griever. Who's barely holding it together. And I just want to pay for my loaf of bread. Just let me get and out people, of here.
0: And people like, do it so flippantly. They do it so flippantly. Uh, as if, like as if they have time to listen, like.
1: Yeah. Which that we don't even stop. Have you noticed that now? It's so flippant that when we ask someone how are you and we expect them to say fine or good, that's the two acceptable answers, we don't even pause our steps. Yeah. We say it now yeah. while we're passing in the hallway. Yeah. That's appalling to me. So that, you know, I do that pledge with, um when I'm working with a business or with groups of people and I say, you know, like, what if we make this pledge with each other? Find a safe group of people to do it with. I'm not asking you to be your most awkward, vulnerable self among people you don't feel safe with. Pick safe yeah. people to do it with. And the pledge is that I will only ask, how are you, when I really want to know, and you will tell me the truth. <laughs> right? And I that would shift the I'm whole paradigm so around weird. emotions.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? I, we don't. I, I, we're so emotion phobic, we're like, how are you? Fine. We don't even want to stop. I'm not even stopping. Just keep going. I'm asking this question, but we're going to pretend it's fine. <laughs> like It's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: I mean, and I've, I've, I've actually done that because in South Africa, we have a, a some part of a, some of our cultures in South Africa, they'll ask um, until you say how you are, they won't, they won't serve you. Mm-hmm. And I, someone did that to me the one day and they kept saying, how are you? And I was like, I'm fine. Um, fine. Thanks. And no, um, I didn't answer them. And they kept saying, how are you? How are you? And I looked at them and I, and I stopped and I said, do you know who I am? Do you know? And then I just like laid it all out. And I was like, my mother just died. And I like, I gave this whole story and, and they stood there and they were like, so I'm like, do you still want to know how I am? And they couldn't answer me. And I, it was just a moment of just like teaching people, like, don't, don't do that. And insist to find out who I, how I am doing, if you're not actually invested In how I'm doing, it It is so, it's so short lived, and it's not a proper transactional conversation. Yeah, you know, just hi, hi, how's your day been, whatever. Something. Did you find
1: everything you're looking for? Is a lovely transactional
0: conversation. Come again soon
1: is how you let someone leave, not have a great day. I wanted to scream out loud and punch people in the throat. Honest to goodness, yes. Kevin, I would like, I'm barely holding it together. I got, I got the first thing I could shop for regularly was smoothie ingredients, right? Cause we just had the same smoothie every day. Blueberries, yeah. bananas, spinach, oat milk, uh, hemp seed if I remembered, like five ingredients. So I could make sure we had those. And I would go in, okay, five things Yeah. And I knew the path through the store. I'm holding it together, I'm doing okay, it's good. I've got my ear pods in so I don't have to listen to music. I'm doing great. Get to the cashier. How are you? Oh, for grunt. And, yeah. and I just would grunt. I thought, I'm done. I don't even, because, you know, we're all so conditioned to be polite and give a polite response. I thought, I, I'm, I can't. I, I don't have polite today. I just need my groceries. So I would just kind of grunt, which was normally okay. And we, they would carry on scanning my few things and then have a great day. And I thought, why? Why are you saying that? And then one day I was at a coffee shop and the barista said, I hope you have a good day. And just adding those two words shifted the whole dynamic of that, right? Because I hope I do too. I know I'm probably not going to, but I hope so, right? We can all live in hope, right? I hope the day, you know, at that point I was like, I hope the day is bearable. Like, I hope I can get through it. Yeah. But that just adding that made, that little nuance made such a difference to me. And I know all of these things hit people differently. You know, not every griever is having the same experience out in the world. We're all, you know, there's 8 billion of us now having 8 billion different experiences. And if we're grieving more than one person, we're now having, you know, 16 billion experiences. But there are some really common things and common ways we interact with each other that just, you know, I look at it from a griever's perspective. And I am also really clear that, you know, especially in those early days when I was struggling so much that in a way I was getting a glimpse into what poor mental wellness is like, into what it must be like or might be like, because there's no must about it, but might be like for someone who was struggling with mental illness. And the difference for me is I knew it was about grief and that it would change over time. But what if your belief was that that was forever? Yeah. Right. Then how does this like when we go out in the world and we have to interact with each other, We need to be more careful, we need to be more loving, we need to be more thoughtful.
0: Yeah. If, I mean, we we clearly uh, should have more of these conversations and have you back for more because there's so much to talk about, but if you, if you could sort of um, end off today's conversation of, you know, part of, part of uh, um, building that awareness what do what, what can people do, you know, from a business perspective, from a personal perspective? Like, I mean, you know, have that permission for yourself. That's, that's a really good starting point. And mm-hmm. um, what can businesses do? What could leaders do? What could people do to make it a little bit easier for people to grieve and to be okay to create space for them?
1: There's some really specific things that businesses and leaders can do, and it starts with their own emotional intelligence and vulnerability. And I know that that's not a place that lots of business leaders want to start. So if you don't want to start there, we can start somewhere else. But you need that foundation because as we experience today, like if we're going to show up for each other in the most raw moments, yeah. you know, it's raw for me because it's real, it's raw for you because you're imagining. We have to be comfortable with the emotions that come up. We have to be OK with, well, now my emotions are leaking out of my eyes. And that's OK. Emotions do that sometimes. The good ones and the not as good ones. Yeah. So that sense of like your own emotional intelligence and vulnerability, I think as leaders, we need to be really honest with ourselves about how we model that for our teams and how we model that for our staff. Uh, I read a brilliant article. I'm pretty sure it was in Harvard Business Review that was talking about how staff actually responds better to leaders that they perceive as being more honest and vulnerable. And we need to model, you know, grieving ourselves at work. You know, if you're a leader who has experienced a loss, then you get an opportunity to model that and to model what's acceptable. And if what you're modeling is you get your 3 days off and then you show up and it's nose to the grindstone and you just keep going, you're modeling an unhealthy response. So how yeah. do we model a healthy response? So we need to start with being honest about how good we are with emotional intelligence and vulnerability and upping those skills if we're not very good. And I wanna be really clear, these are all skills and tools and mindsets we can develop. I don't know if we came in this world knowing how to support each other, we probably did. But by the time we were enculturated by our society that tells us how to tamp everything down and just be you know, wildly individualistic and be a go-getter and all that stuff, we've lost it along the way. So we need to relearn them together. So that's the first starting point point. and then when i'm working with a business we talk about you know what are some of the things you can say how do you get in that mindset where you just speak vulnerably from the heart and you say something that's specifically from you to that specific person i wish i'd come up with the magic one size fits all phrase there isn't one because there's no one size fits all grief so yeah. every time you talk to someone's going to be different then we talk about um really tangible things generally we can do to support people and then if you're looking at supporting staff, there's really easy things to put in place that help scaffold for them. So we're just creating this temporary scaffolding around them that gives them extra support. We just think of that building paradigm, you know, that building model, right? We're just gonna scaffold a little bit while we do some renovations is <laughs> all we're doing. Yeah. Because most people need to be at work. Financially, they need to be at work. Most of us can't just take, you know, I couldn't take two years off my job to, yeah. you know, get out of those that early days phase. So we need to be at work and for a lot of people, work is a respite from their grief. It's a place they get to practice and test interacting with like the real world, like with people who are living a normal life. And we know everyone has a burden. I'm not trying to minimize what anyone else is going through. But what appears to be kind of the normal world going on without you, which is a really, you know, almost universal griever experience. Like like I'm still in this post-apocalyptic nightmare and you're all living your lives. Yeah. So there's ways we can provide support. And so we do that specific to your business, but here's some examples. So if you have, everybody starts at eight and we work till four, if they don't need to be there at eight, does it really matter? So give them that time freedom. Cause for me, a shower takes five minutes. When in that early phase of grief, 25, like took yeah. forever to get ready to get clothed, <laughs> right? A lunch packed, like took forever to get out of the house in the morning. So flexibility around time, wonderful if you can offer that. You can't with every position and that's okay. There's other things you can offer. What about shared calendars, right? Where deadlines, meetings, doables are all on this shared calendar. It's so easy with technology to do all these things and we're not all doing them. So shared calendars. So I don't have to try to remember everything. I know where the document is, right? Where I can go look at it. I can look every morning when I come in, I can look and go, oh, I don't have anything deliverable today. Great. So here's how I'm going to structure my day. Um, Breaking down tasks, so multiple step tasks are often really hard for grievers, that's part of the brain fog. So if you can break it down and document it as little tasks instead of one big one with a lot of steps, that's really helpful for some people. Um, what about like a walking buddy or a rotating walking buddy? So you just, there's someone that you can go and say, I need to go for a walk and you go and you walk it out because we need to move our bodies too, right? We Emotions need movement to, yeah. for us to process them. What about a lunch support? Like if it's someone like me who's struggling to cook, every day someone else is going to bring you a lunch. Great, right? There's a million things we can be doing. And the interesting thing about them is when we have this conversation and we start to talk about grief, so then we're talking about emotions, so then we're talking about what happens when you're struggling, how do we help you? We're also signaling to the whole team that it's okay to show up as your whole self. That you get to come to work and say, oh my gosh, I'm on the struggle list today and I'm. can someone remind me when my meeting is because I'm not gonna be able to remember. Yeah. Absolutely, so we're creating a culture where it's okay to actually be human at work, which is for most of us what we want. Yeah. Right, we're creating a culture where we support each other, where we acknowledge and accept that people are gonna struggle at times. It's gonna be grief, we're all gonna face grief. Right now, I argue that we are all in grief, whether we're acknowledging it or not. We've all had massive losses over the past few years. that we're not grieving very appropriately, or at all. Um, So, you know, we can talk about that, we can have conversations, you know, I can facilitate a conversation with the team about, you know, how do we express our emotions at work? What feels safe? Does this feel like a safe place? Like leaders need to know if people feel safe or not. (laughs) So that's really important. The other thing I talk about all the time, and this was my daughter's when I said to her, okay, when you're at work, like what would have been the most helpful thing? Her thing that she always wants me to say is a quiet place you can go when you're overwhelmed that isn't the bathroom. Because <laughs> I don't yeah. know if men do it, but women cry in the bathroom. Yeah. There is nothing dignified about feeling all your emotions in a bathroom stall. So no. can we have a quiet space? And I know for a lot of places, space is tight and who knows, but maybe you have a corner where there's a chair in the corner and you just know if you know if so- someone's on like the quiet chair, it's not the timeout chair, right? It's the quiet. And you just know... I'm there because I'm in overwhelm. I just need a few minutes. I don't need attention. I don't need anyone to come and fix it. I just need a second and then I'll be back, right? Yeah, We yeah. do that for kids in daycares and kindergartens and preschools. We teach them that's how you regulate emotions. You go have a quiet moment. You get yourself together, then you come back. And then we think as adults, we don't need that anymore. But of yeah. course we do. If we're gonna accept our emotions and we're gonna feel them all, sometimes they're gonna be overwhelming. And that's okay, let's normalize that. So there's lots we can do.
0: So, because we we're running out of time, but if you if you could share like your last sentiments for today's conversation, I mean I, I'm just blown away by your. <laughs> it's just so profound, and I, it's I I I absolutely honor you, and and I look up to you because I don't know how I would I would cope. Um, So being so brave to be able to share the story as well as you do, and rise above it, and still give it meaning, and still grieve, and still help, and you've created so much space in, in your world, even with the hole in your heart, um, what would, what would you leave people with today?
1: the most important thing to understand is that grief is normal it's normal it's a normal response to something terrible that happens and sometimes it's a normal response to a change that's good right every change brings loss and if we're going to have loss we have grief so grief is such a big part of our lives that we're not talking about and so if you haven't lost a person recently and you're not in active grief about a person I love for people to look at all the little losses. Let's practice there, right? I'm not a good first assignment. A grieving mom who's grieving out loud, I am not a good first assignment for someone to support. But how could you show up to support someone who's had a smaller loss? Who's maybe, you know, did a job interview for a job they really wanted and they didn't get it. That's a loss that needs to be grieved. But we don't say, oh my gosh, that's so crappy. I yeah. wish you'd gotten that. I could see how much you were excited about it and what a difference it would have made. And I'm so upset and so sad for you that that happened. We don't, we say, Oh, well, what are you applying for next? Have you got another one? When's your other interviews? We just want to keep going with the going, going, going. What if we slowed down Yeah. and allowed the losses to be processed? Because if we don't process them, they pile up and grief is patient and it will wait for you. So do it at the time, do it at the time. Let it be okay. Even though it's, horrible, the horrible has to be okay. The awkwardness, we need to get comfortable. We need to get comfortable with being awkward. We need to be comfortable with discomfort. It's the only way, because if we can, if we will, there's so much connection there. There's so much love in the way we show up for each other. And we can put that fear aside and embrace love instead. That's world changing.
0: That's world changing. There we go. Uh, Suzanne Jabour, She's a grief educator, guys, and uh, she is a transformational coach and a workshop leader. Uh, Suzanne, that was probably the best conversation I've had for a very long time.
1: Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful. And I'm going to tell you why it was so good, Kevin. Yes. It was so good because you embraced the discomfort and the vulnerability right at the beginning.
0: I did. Yeah. So, uh,
1: yay, that's a step, right? We're taking steps one at a time.
0: And we didn't even prepare. We didn't prep for this. This was a complete ad hoc kind of like, let's just talk. And it was a brilliant conversation. Thank you for being a superhero to to the world and to so many people, because I think it's people that to me is a superhero, being able to, to rise above something that could so easily have made you something else. And Turned you into something else. Um, ben has the best mom in the world. It's just Aww, like, that. thank you. So, thank you for sharing this and thank you for being on the show. And um, yeah, if uh, I, I've got all your details. So guys, if you want to, if you want to chat to Suzanne, I mean, just check in the links below. or go to her website and her email address and yeah, you can chat to her. And I'm sure. I mean, obviously, you can you can do this online. You can have these conversations yep. online. You can do workshops online. So if they, I do it all
1: yeah. online from the comfort of my dining room. Yep,
0: <laughs> which is yeah. great.
1: We all need to be doing it. So here I am.
0: So you should actually change your your name to Suzanne the superhero. Like, Aww,
1: thank you, Kevin.
0: <laughs> I think it should be their like slogan. Um, <laughs> so thank you for this. I really appreciate it, and thank you for your time. I it was it was fantastic.
1: You're so welcome.